0: Written by the Apostle James, written to the early church, exiled and dispersed to the uttermost corners of the world. In the middle of trials, in the middle of, of uncertainty, he is speaking to them about a practical, sustainable faith. When we were going through the book of, of Hebrews and, and looking at this, this topic, this subject that is so profound of how and why Jesus is better, it gives us that foundational root of our faith and that, that we have a substance, someone of, of strong constitution that is, that is upholding everything we believe and that is Jesus Himself. That is the foundational, doctrinal faith. But when the ebbs and flow of life come at us, We must be willing to see what it looks like to have a practical, sustainable, thriving, lived out, demonstrated faith. And the Apostle James, led by the Lord, moved by the Holy Spirit to pen these words, has has brought them to us and and they have been preserved as a gift to us today. And so we are in chapter 1, the 19th verse. We're going to be on page 1071 if you're following along in our pew Bibles. It will be on the screen behind me. But I'm going to ask that you stand in the honor of reading God's Word, His preserved gift to us, as we prepare to study and grow in our knowledge of the Lord together today. Verses 19 and following. The Word of the Lord says this, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. "'Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted Word which is able to save your souls.'" But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he, he, he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious, without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion Before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, today as we read this letter that You, the Holy Spirit, You inspired in the hands of of these men and You have made it inerrant, infallible, it is inspired and perfect. It is beautiful. And it is good for our souls. Today I pray that you, the same Spirit who moved to pen and, and, and persevere these words, you would be the one that illuminates them for us. That we would not read them as mere text on a page, but see them in their source as coming from you. That You would give us revelation of how it, it shows and shines a light on who You are, Jesus. That You would help us interpret them rightly, handle them correctly, not ashamedly, but as one approved. And that in all of it, Lord, You would help us apply it. For it would be of little use if we came in here and learned facts, but did not leave this place overflowing with the works of faith that follow these this beautiful text, this gift. So, Jesus, have Your way with us today as we learn from You. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray this prayer. Amen. So, as I shared with you, James is written to the church. It's one of the first letters, uh, according to scholars, first penned documents in the New Testament. So, out of all the 27 books of the New Testament of your Bible, James is thought to be the oldest uh, the oldest being a letter. And being written because they were in a time of persecution, Jewish persecution that had dispersed the peoples abroad. If you're wanting to know about when this happened, you can look at Acts chapter seven and eight and see what happened after the stoning and martyrdom of Stephen, uh, one of the early diaconos, an early evangelist. Uh, he diaconos meaning deacon, uh, and and he was a person fervent in his faith, and after proclaiming it, he died for his his faith, and because that rocked the church, thousands were thrust and dispersed outward, but it wasn't like this was some catching God off guard moment. God had his purposes in pushing the church out, calling out the called so that they may share of God's goodness, they may share of the Christ to the nations, to the places where they were sent, and many of them did, but it did not mean that their life was free of hardship. First, losing your geographical normalcy, your your location where, you've, where you're used to being, and now being sent to other places, that automatically presents itself with a certain uncomfortableness. It it, it presents yourself with a, a level of difficulty, but also the fact that even in these new places, this this message of Jesus, a savior who was promised and prophesied in the Old Testament through the ages, coming and living a perfect sinless life, dying with a with a love for His people on the cross in their place and rising again and us living out such a faith in a way that says, hey, we want to demonstrate His effective life around us. And we also want to live a holy life that reflects His holiness, that reflects His righteousness. It can present an uncomfortable surrounding. It can make others push away and press in at the same time on your faith. And here James's aim by the Holy Spirit is to give the church the supply and the remembrance that they need of what is a sustainable, thriving, demonstrated, practical, growing faith. And as we look at this, one of the reminders that James presents after speaking about the trials that they're faced, addressing their immediate situation, he goes on to addressing the remedy. He goes on to addressing what, what is needed to, to be the, the help that you need in this time. But he doesn't do so lightly. He doesn't say, oh, just read your Bible more. It Just get the Word in you. And, and and live it out. No, he begins with a warning about how they listen. He says, I'm warning you against a pretentious pretending. Uh, that kind of listening that deceives and does not lead to a life of practice and obedience. It leads to a lot of talk without serving. It says one thing and does another. As I was studying this, I recalled a moment where whenever I was in orientation for school, we were called in, and and, you know, we're a bunch of rambunctious 18-year-olds, and we were called in for orientation, and and we go to this like meeting, and it was like a lecture, but there was not going to be any test, you really didn't have to take notes, you just kind of had to listen and be present. And it was amazing how much much of us probably just it just went all over over our heads and 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 never really sank in what was going on in the middle of that orientation. Why? Because we weren't required to take notes. There wasn't a test. It wasn't like this was going to be put into practice. It was just some general knowledge. One professor puts it this way: This is like being a listless listener, someone who willingly puts themselves in a place that they can endure a speech or a lecture or even a sermon. And they do so because going in, they have purposed it will not change a thing. I will not be tested. I will not have to be transformed. There will be no correction. There will be no challenge. And what they do is they say, I recognize the need to be present without having to be present. Without actually having to participate. And they mistake just simply hearing for learning and obeying and so here we have these messages of of god's word and and these learned new truths that the church had and, and many of them even born again as the letter is being circulated but james wants to know are we really being learners that are moving to being doers and the reason that, that this is such a needed thing is, is not just so, like I said, you have more information and so you're more holy now. It's because you are beloved, dear brothers. He's writing this and saying, you, the church, have experienced the same adoption, the same loving, gracious act of God upon your life as I have. I am not higher than you. I am not more excellent than you. I am not more praiseworthy than you. We have all received of the same grace of Jesus. You are all considered beloved. And when you get the ramification of we are beloved by God, this gives us every bit of the reason why we would want to become hearers and doers. That we would want to receive the Word in order to respond to the will of God. We would want to do this. And so in this admonition, in this encouragement, James says this is how you do so. If you're going to do this as dearly loved brothers, here's the first prescription. That you would receive the Word attentively. Attentively. It would, it would cause your attention to be ga- grasped. Not just participating in an in a experiment where I'm one among many in a room, but I'm actively, attentively receiving what is being served. I am in the moment's And I'm not losing the moment. You may think, well, how could you do that? How could you lose the moment? I mean, the gift of of the Word is just preached and you should be able to receive it attentively easy, right? Well, James marks out some barriers to this prescription. Kind of like whenever you get a prescription, you go to the drugstore and it says, this should be taken with this meal or drank with this much fluid. And it should be avoided that you don't do these. Because it could counteract the, the needed direction of that prescription. James gives us these these instructions on how to handle it well. He says, first of all, you need to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. In other words, you should already have your mind set. I am actively participating as a listener quickly. You don't have to, like, hook me. You don't have to gimmick me. You don't have to entertain me i'm actively already quick to listen and i'm active to listen because here's what i need to hear i need to hear god's thoughts on the matters of life i need to hear god's instruction on the direction for my life not only as an individual disciple and we all have that commonality that common call but also collectively as a church, but also individually in the application of God's Word and in the significant areas where some other people may have grasped this, but I'm still working on it. As a disciple, it's, the application is new to me. I am quick to listen to God's thoughts on a matter. What would prevent us from being that? Preconceived notions. Preferences quoting from the book of second opinions being an avid reader of first hesitations these are things that can prevent us whenever i was doing youth ministry i would definitely have at certain moments larger crowds of of students that their proximity to the things of faith and and the, and the the teachings of christianity were sometimes very new and and i could not ever look at them in, in a way and say all right these students automatically have a biblical background a, a biblical literacy a a biblical practice and and methodology in their home I, I had to remember that that they were sometimes coming in with fresh ears but also they were not Many times they were coming in with preconceived notions. Maybe things based on people they admire. People they've heard before. And, and, and all, already they filtered in a decision before they've ever heard the news. Before they've ever gotten the knowledge laid on them. And that would sometimes prevent them. Maybe they'd come in and say, you know, all churches are the same. They just all want the same thing. That guy's only about your money. or Or they would just you know they're going to just tell you a bunch of things that that's just wrong and they're not really wrong and they would come in with these preconceived notions here's the thing whenever we have these preconceived notions it's automatically put an obstacle that says you know what i probably should be present but i'm not going to be quick to listen and when i'm not quick to listen i'm not prepared to hear god's thoughts on a matter even though God is the one who's been graciously active in presenting something of His own choice that He didn't have to do. He didn't have to take time to share this loving, gracious truth with us, this life-transforming Word. But He did. Verse 18, James says, he says, By God's own choice, He's the one that gave us birth by the Word of truth so that we would be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. You see, Christianity, we talk about it being a relationship rather than a religion at times. And and we do it because in a religion, you can get by purely on activity. If you just follow the formula, you're you're pretty good. But uh, Christianity is a religion, but it's also a relationship. It cannot survive by just purely doing a formula. You have to listen to God. You have to abide in His Word. So you must be a listener if you're going to abide and live by it. Not only must you be quick to listen, you must be slow to speak. As, as one pastor says, with two ears and one mouth, we should be twice as invested in listening wholeheartedly than we are at our usual activity of airing our own limited point of view. But one thing that we normally do, instead of having the two years engaged, we overload the one mouth. And if we're already saying, "Hey, I I am limited and have my preconceived notions of what I think," and I'm not listening to God's thoughts in the matter, what I'll end up usually doing is start saying my thoughts. And the problem is, as we saw before in the earlier part of this letter, our human experience, our human wisdom is already limited. It's limited because we do not know every single aspect of reality at any given moment. It's limited because we don't know every angle of what's going on around us. It's limited because we have not experienced every single detail of life. It's very amazing to me, at a, as, as young as I am, and as young as I was, I get it. I'm young, and I was younger, and I'm not as young as I used to be. I get that. But it is amazing to me that at 18 to 25, I had all the remedies for every generation, every perspective, every point of life that I had never lived. I didn't know what it was like and I still don't know what it's like to be a retiring adult. I don't know what it's like and I have never known what it's like to live on the street. I have never had that life. You may have had that. And yet to have this knowledge to pretend like I know every single experience, every single moment and the truth that is needed for that is foolhardy. And yet many times we're ready to air our own limited point of view instead of listening, being slow to speak, quick to listen. But also this. Another instruction for this prescription is being slow to anger. What do you do if you do not like what God has to say when it comes to contrasting with your own limited human perspective? What do you do? How do you respond to that? Now there are many types of anger. There's the storming out, I'm not going to take any of this, I'm gone. Anger. There's the closed-off, silent-treatment anger. There's the, well, I'll just exist, but I'll pretend you don't, anger. And there's the, no, 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 anger. I don't want to hear that. The tantrum anger. But what do we do whenever we're reading the Word, and all of a sudden something comes up, and we're like, oh, snap. I'm not right according to the Bible. And when it means I'm not right according to the Bible, I'm not right according to what God has said. I need to treat and be slow to anger. I need to receive the Word. As one pastor says, we need to be very, very careful with how we deal with our temper. We should treat our temper temper as a valuable possession that you know it would be a real shame to lose that's how we should treat it as a valuable possession it'd be a real shame to lose it and as we do so become patient to be quick listeners slow speakers and slow to anger we need to have a pattern in our life that says I receive the word attentively but I also receive the word actively In verses 20-21, through he says, For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. There is a difference between human anger and heavenly anger. Obviously, if you've ever read through the Gospel, you can see Jesus getting pretty upset at times. It is not beyond Jesus to call us to turn the other cheek, but it is also not beyond Jesus to turn the tables. But there's a difference when God is angry and we are angry. His is a heavenly, holy anger. Looking and seeing what is unrighteous, what is evil, what is of moral filth, what is of no profit or value. Ours is limited. And saying, this is my stuff, my way. And I need to understand the difference. And as I am confronted with this Word, as I'm receiving it attentively and it's giving me that aha and it's awakening my soul and my heart, it's it's piercing deep within. As we're receiving it attentively, we receive it actively. Saying, God, what You put in, overflow and put to use. Use it in my life. And if that requires You putting your Word in, and it ridding other stuff out, that's okay. That is actually an okay place to be. In fact, it's the righteous place to be. That there should be an, an active confession and repentance as I rid myself of, of that moral filth and evil that, John, that James says is so prevalent. As I'm humbly receiving the implanted Word that saves my soul. Now we have to understand there's a both-end situation here. With confession and repentance. First, it's, it's how to biblically and actively deal with moral filth and evil. When God confronts you with that, there are really two responses. Either to pretend it doesn't, it's not really a problem or try to walk away in a different direction that's contrary to God and His grace or come to God in His grace and confession. The God who loves you and who lovingly is presenting this to you and doesn't just go zap, you're done. Out of chances. He's lovingly inviting you to say, Hey, I love you enough to tell you this. But also you need to understand it's about getting the wrong stuff out and getting the right stuff in that you can't just say, All right, God, take away this thing that that's been, I've been using to fill the vacuum of my soul for so long and, and not putting something back in that is even more virtuous, even more worthwhile, even more profitable, even more valuable. You've got to receive the implanted Word. That which saves our soul, it sustains our soul. It sanctifies our soul. It sets our soul on a course that says, I have a good Savior that loves me and I want to serve Him. I want that to be the joy of my life. Not this other stuff that I've been trying to cram in the vacuum. I've got to receive the implanted Word. And make no mistake... The implanted Word is effective. It is good for us. That's why Paul writes that that our very faith, it comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. That we have to hear the Gospel in order to be transformed by the Gospel. In other words, we have to also hear the Word and in other words, be transformed by the Word. How can we know what is good and righteous and virtuous if we don't discover what the Word says is good and right and virtuous? And we have to treat this Word as we actively receive it. And remember how good it is. That as we're receiving it, we understand that when God has provided His will and His way and His Word to us, that really we are beyond blessed, beyond measure. We are. We've been given everything we need for life and righteousness in God's Word. We need to understand the treasure that it is. And as we do it, as we humbly receive it, as we place ourselves under its authority, those words, humbly receive it, sometimes we can get a little confused. Okay, humbly receive it. What does that mean? Um, remember those days whenever you were waiting for a gift And and, and maybe you weren't really humbly taking it and receiving it you're like yeah that was on my christmas list that's what i wanted i got it it's mine and and maybe the attitude of gratitude was dismissed from it the recognition of how much it might have cost was dismissed from it and so we might have received it but humbly receiving it wasn't really the action But then turn around and and think about those times. Maybe you asked for it or you didn't. And someone came along and and they actively participated in your life. And and you recognized, wow, this person did not have to do this. And and this activity, it cost them. And I I don't know why they would do it. But but receiving it, it, it almost breaks your heart that someone would love you in that way. That's the humbly receiving it. And whenever you receive a gift that way, it's almost like you want to do anything back for that person. Not because you're trying to pay a debt, but just because you just realize, wow, what love. And that's how we're to place ourselves under the authority of the Word, that the Word that saves us, the Word that delivers us, it transforms us. The same Word, it's what produces holiness in our life, godliness in our character, and the righteousness of God. We're to receive it actively. It should require a part of us invested the next three are relatively quick as we take this prescription of of what we're to do we're to receive the word actively and attentively but we're also to respond to the word enthusiastically when we receive it we respond with it and the response of the word is an enthusiastic obedience obedience That says, I do this as an obedient child of the true God. That I recognize that I carry a name. I bear an image that I did not deserve to carry. I did not deserve to bear. And I want to do this because my King Jesus is my dad. The one who loves my soul. And I want to hear what He says and put it into action. I want to be a doer, not just a hearer. Simply listening and developing some good intentions and good vibes. It just simply isn't enough. And let's just put it bluntly. It's not effective. How many times have you had good intentions and good want to, but it never led to actively doing anything? You ever had times in your life with that? I can raise my hand many, many times where I've had that. Man, I want to do this. Man, I hope I can accomplish this. Man, I hope they just know how much I care, but I don't call. I didn't write. I didn't show up. I didn't help. I wasn't effective. At least I wasn't effective just me thinking to myself, this is what I should do, but never doing it. Me hearing, well, this is what you should do, but never practicing it. It's not enough, and it's definitely not effective. But we are meant to be those that reflect the word. As we respond obediently, what we're doing is we're reflecting that this word is valuable. This word is profitable. This word is good. And we're ready to reflect it. I love reflections. Obviously, we live in a world that loves reflections right now. If you just turn on social media, you can see how many selfies there are. And I have toned down a bit. I know i, I for a while there it was pretty bad. But now it's just Mugshot Monday usually. Um, but that I post and, uh, yeah, but I love reflections. You know why I love reflections? If you, if you, if you don't put filters on them or anything like that, a reflection just shows the real reality of what's there. It helps you see like, all right, this is what's behind me. Good, bad, and ugly. That's what's there. It just shows the reality of what it is. It's not changing it. And a reflection in its purpose, when we're seeing it, that God gave us the ability to see reflections and, and to do this is a call to respond to, for human sake, on what needs to be readjusted or remade. When I get up in the morning and I, and I look in that mirror and I go, Ugh! you know, and then I'm like, "Okay, well, let's try to fix this the best way possible." It, re- it reminds me this needs to be adjusted. That this beautiful beast just doesn't happen. It doesn't. It really doesn't. My wife tells me that's why it takes me forever. And it does. I'll be the first to admit I am a very vain, vain human being when it comes to trying to readjust this. But I do it because I see the reflection in what needs to be dealt with. The same thing with the Word. As we're seeing it, it's showing us the reality of what is. And as children bearing the image of God, it's telling us this is what is and this is what needs to be. This is what is and this is what needs to be. And it calls us to submit to God's perfect Word in faith that says if you will do this, you will see there's an an uninhibited, unleashed way you can live. A way that lives in freedom. But you know sometimes if you don't deal with the matter, it just paralyzes you. It prevents you from being effective. And we need to be those that submit to true faith. But it requires doing just what the prescription has given us to go to the Word and looking at it intently and saying, God, show me what is and show me what needs to be. Help me to bear Your image well. Help me to be one that submits to Your transformative Word. And being a person that the Bible says the doer is blessed. It's meant to be a part of my life that I respond to the word enthusiastically with a want to beyond just having good intentions by obedience. But it's also by respecting the word verbally that if it's going to be a part of our life that overflows, guess where the most natural part of that overflowing is? The number one spot that there's an evidence of something going on in someone's life. Where do you think that is? they're words if there's any spot that automatically actively shows something's going on that's different in a life it begins with what's coming out of the lips it begins with the words that are used to build up others and not tear them down the words that are meant being filtered and, and now seen through a different viewpoint and spoken through a different filter You see, if we're going to be people that are doers of the word, it's going to have an effect, first of all, on these things we call lips and teeth and tongue and what comes out of them. When Jesus was speaking about what goes into us, he says one of the things that overflows from us is what's into us. And if the word is getting into us and implanted, it's going to overflow from our lips. And so we need to respect the word verbally. In our conversations, we need to demonstrate that God has mastery over our tongue. Because I'll be honest, my left my own defenses, I don't have good mastery. I just don't. I would hate for you to be riding with me when I'm riding by myself. Because I'll sometimes I'll I'll catch myself and like, what are you saying? What are you doing? And maybe it's not as vulgar as the next guy, but I can chew somebody out that never hears me. I can say some of the most awful things to players on a team, on a screen, that I don't know them from Adam. But when God has mastery over our tongue, what we'll begin seeing is we'll, once again, we'll be quick to listen and slow to speak. But when we speak our aim is to bless more, to talk less and bless more and'll we'll, our aim will be to demonstrate the wisdom that God is implanting in us. An old proverb, not one from the Bible, says it is better to be thought a fool and to stay silent than to speak and remove all doubt pretty good, pretty close but as you know that there's actually A proverb in the Bible that's pretty close to that. In the book of Proverbs it says, even the fool is considered wise and a person of understanding when he does not speak. We need to respect the word verbally. It's one of the beginning places of active faith in our life. We need to reveal the word compassionately. James begins saying about this activity of religion. And here he is not using religion as in this negative word. In our culture, religion can seem very negative at times. But he's saying if you're going to reveal the word compassionately, it's going to have an active engagement in your life. And it's going to do so in ways that are not necessarily beneficial for your own gain. And he says, you want to hear what pure and undefiled religion is? It's looking after orphans and widows. What you'll begin doing is not only seeing Jesus have a mastery over your lips, but a mastery of your hands and feet, leading you to serve those who can do nothing for you in return. And who should not be required to. That we don't do these things just so it benefits us. I love some of the things that's going on in the conversations that uh, our evangelism team is having. I just want to say, Ron, I'm thankful for you and, and the team that you're coming up with ideas. And it's beyond ideas, it's beyond intentions. And one of the things we we began asking and looking at our church and saying, alright, we know that God has called us to have an impact on our community, but we have to strip away this this pretense that says we're doing this so that people will come in, be givers, sit and fill this place, and make us look good. That's got to be stripped away. Because that is not pure and undefiled religion. That is not revealing the Word compassionately. That is saying I want to look out for numero uno and make me look good. But if I'm going to reveal the word compassionately, it means I'm going to do the calling that God has called me to live out, even if it provides zero benefit to my bottom line. If it does zero benefit to my rep. I'm going to go to the places where working is going to require me to get messy. Messy. And it's going to hurt at times. It's going to be difficult. But the reason I'm going to do that, the reason James calls this pure and undefiled religion, because this is exactly the picture of what Jesus did for us. He gave everything. And if we're going to be people that receive that which is heavenly, that which is good, that which reflects Jesus intently, then our life is going to begin looking a lot like His. If we're serious, it's going to point us saying, We're going to do those things. Not just say, I need to do these things. We're going to do the things that may not bring benefit to me, but they're an imagery of the gospel. That there's a holy, loving God who saw us in all of our dirt and all of our moral filth and all of that evil that we're supposed to rid ourselves and we weren't doing it. The Bible says we were still sinners when Jesus was demonstrating that. It wasn't like, hey God, we cleaned ourselves up. Can you come take care of us now? No, He came while we were still sinners. So that He would be the only sufficient price in our place. And yes, He did receive glory from it. But the overwhelming good that we've gotten, we are the ones that are truly blessed. And as he did it, he didn't do it so he says, all right, well, I've done a little bit. Now you have to work your way the rest of the way. He did it so it would be a humbly received gift. That all who received it, their eternity would be changed. They would have life eternal with him. And they would have life transformed here and now and forever. Through Him. And it became because He chose of His own will to demonstrate His love towards us. So what do we need to do? We need to receive the Word attentively. Saying, God, push away, dispel the preconceived notions so that I may be quick to listen knowing that when it comes from you, it is more valuable than gold. I need to be slow to speak and not say, "Well, but, 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 but God, but, but God." No, God, help me to see what is right and true. I, I, I need to not be angry. I need to re- receive the word attentively. I need to receive it actively and see that it's going to put me into an active way of life. I need to respond to it enthusiastically as an obedient child. I need to respect it verbally. I need to reveal it compassionately to others that that need it just as much as I do. And I need to regard the word demonstrably. The last statement is to keep oneself unstained from the world. And here's the big deal. That is in no way possible on our own skill. That is no way possible on our own merit, on our own works. It's not possible. And you've probably seen this over and over and over in your life. You say, man, just at the point where I feel like I've gotten cleaned up and and the stains are gone, splash, sploosh. And maybe it was something that happened to you or you just went, hello, splash, into it. And what it does is it says, I still regard my Word and my way more than His. But when I regard His Word and I come to Him, His Word says you are already clean. Positionally righteous before my eyes. Now obeying my Word, you'll become living practically clean. Aim for that. Live for that, not as a hearer, simply, but also as a doer. Receive the Word humbly implanted in you. Respond to the Word enthusiastically obedient to the One who gave it. And your life, my life, whatever I've seen of me practicing that has never been the same. And many of your testimonies echo the same. But we've got to be consistently going there as disciples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for the time that we 've had together, and I thank you for the patience this room has had and, and I pray that, as we come to this place of response, that today we would be actively attentively ready to respond, to receive, to reveal, to live out your word. It is your word that awakens the faith within us. It is your word that that's spoken, that 's spoken that that made light in the darkness. It was your word that says what you do is good. And to, it, is, it is Your Word that sets people free. So God, help us not to discount the power that is in Your will revealed. And let us go humbly to this beautiful gift to Your Word that You've provided for us to receive it. And may our lives never be the same. Jesus, as we come to this place to respond, I, I pray that we would do so with a humble heart. And I pray that as a result of this time together, we're a little bit more like you than when we walked in today. But I know that comes to the point of faith, trusting, following, repentance. So God, whatever you need to do in in the lives of your disciples, your children, and the lives of those that you're calling and saying, I love you and I want to adopt you into my family, whoever it is in this room, However you desire to move, Lord, have your way and help us follow. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, our musicians are going to play. And as we do each week, we're going to have a time of response. And I don't know what that may look for you in this particular moment. It could be that you're here and you say, I want and need to know this Jesus that that the Bible is making known. I I need Him to save my soul. I need to place my faith and trust in Him. I need to repent and turn and follow after Him. And today, if that's you and you say, I I know that's what I need, but I'm not sure how to do it. If God is impressing that on your life, I, I would love to share with you what that next step looks like. Maybe your person says, I've, that I have already done. I've, I've already had a place in my life where I've, I've made a personal decision of faith and it's been made public. But I have not walked it as a disciple. I, I, maybe you, you're in this room and you say, I, I've never been baptized as a believer. I, I am not united in covenant with a church right now. I am not living out my calling. And I've been running away from God and I need to follow after Him. If those are areas of your life that you would like counsel and someone to pray with you, I'm going to be here at the front. But even if it's not one of those, maybe if it's an area I didn't cover, I'm still going to be here. The challenge for you is to follow in the way God is leading you to follow. We're here to help along the way, but it's you that must choose now in faith to follow what God says that you must do. We'll be here should you need us as the music plays.